HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. I'm going to write it down. Now I have to go. Hello, this is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. I'm calling. I'm calling in, and it is radio time, because today we are talking to John Place of Keepsake Farm and Dairy. He is doing a raw milk dairy in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. How's, how's it going over there? Right now, the weather's beautiful, the sun's shining, it's a crisp uh, 42 degrees, and we're making hay right now, so it's not ideal hay-making weather, but we're making it happen. Holy smokes. Well, it's, it's nice and dry, at least. Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, taking advantage of some sunshine while we still have it before it goes away for the winter. So, tell me a little bit, what's going on around you in the landscape there? Well, we... We're going into our sixth year here, and uh, we are fortunate to be in an area that has a very big following for local farms and local foods. Our local uh, Buy Fresh by Local chapter is uh, really pushing to help consumers make those better choices and support the local farms. So we've we've been fortunate to kind of ride on the coattails of what's been a really good market condition for small farmers to get started. And that sounds wonderful. And what, um, you're not selling to any big cities. You're just selling in, in smaller towns? Correct. We, we have a raw milk permit. Uh, with, as you may or may not know, Pennsylvania is a pretty good state to work with when it comes to raw milk. We, we bottle and sell milk on farm only. And uh, a lot of people come to our farm from big cities. Uh, we are the closest raw milk provider that follows organic principles and also grazes their cattle to the New York City market. So I actually have quite a few customers that come over from New Jersey and the Manhattan area uh, because we're the closest area they can legally get that milk 
to fit the standards they're looking for. Yikers. Well, that's, that's uh, exciting. Right now we're farming that's about 50 acres total. Uh, it changes a little bit at year to year depending on what, what extra acres we can rent and which ones we don't. So, But right about 50 acres for the, the 12 to 20 cows that we're milking at any given time. Uh, could you reflect a little bit on how how you built up to milking 20? There's a lot of people I know who are getting involved in startup of dairies, and they're thinking through, you know, what scale of equipment to get at first and, you know, how many cows to milk at first, especially when they're just doing everything, you know, with elbow grease and ball jars. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your ramp-up? Sure. When we started our farm, we basically sized it at about 24 cows, and that was kind of the minimum level I saw that I needed to milk to be able to ship milk to help with the startup. So we, when we first started for about the first 10 months or so, we were selling milk to a, a regular bulk truck that would come and pick up every two days, and we, we used that to help cash flow the business while we started the raw milk portion of it. Uh, I didn't anticipate that it only would take me 10 months to get to a point where I couldn't no longer ship milk because I was selling it all raw. Uh, I severely misjudged how good the market was for raw milk. So had if I had it to do all over again, I probably wouldn't have gone as large and gone into as much debt as we did to have a, a little bit larger facility where we probably could have started smaller knowing that there was a waiting market for the raw uh, for fl- raw fluid milk, and it just, uh, it just kind of blossomed from there. So my advice to young farmers that are looking to get into the dairy business is that you really can get in on a, on a 6 to 10 cow scale uh, with minimal investment. When, when I say minimal, it's definitely more than what a minimal vegetable farm would be. But you could, you could put in a, a nice used pipeline milk system and uh, a refrigeration tank and have a, a decent parlor to milk in and be up and running for you know, ten to 20000 versus we, we went into significantly more debt than that to have a, a little bit bigger facility. So the opportunity is out there, and uh, you can definitely do it on a small scale and, and ramp yourself up from there. Well, it sounds like particularly in Pennsylvania, if there's all these Manhattanites eager to get, to get their hands on high-quality raw milk, now, yeah, uh, it's a good market, that's for sure. It's a good market, that's for sure. Now, you know, the other part about doing a milk to do about doing the dairy on a smaller scale is that people who are have been wanting to get into dairy to complement other enterprises they've already got going, say they're already doing, you know, pastured poultry or beef or you know, even as the veggie CSA is it's a lot less intimidating to take on a smaller number of milk milk animals. Um, and it's almost, it's, it's funny because it's almost like going back to a more traditional family farm where dairy is a part, um, and, you know, the, and the grazing animals are, you know, eating on green forages that are part of your rotation. Um, do you guys have any, uh, another enterprise going on the farm? We also do, uh, some pastured, uh, chickens for eggs, uh, small scale, we, we, we kind of scale things up and down just based on the weather. Uh, so we, we, we've run as many as four or 500 hens and as little as 100 hens, and we've done pasture broilers, and we do some grass-fed beef, and we also do a uh, milk or suckled veal. We let the cows raise their own calves. So um, a ro- 
crow's veal is, is probably our biggest selling meat product now. And that's really based on limited acreage, more than limited market. If we had access to more grazable acres, we could ramp up our grass-fed beef production. But uh, it, unfortunately, cows, unlike other small animals, do need some room to roam, and, and uh, fenced acres are tough to come by sometimes. Yeah. Um, what, what's your, sorry, I think maybe you said it, but how many, you're doing 50 acres. Yeah, we're farming about 50 acres between pasture and hay ground. And so as you look around there, um, around your kind of local farm community and kind of Pennsylvania, I guess that's the tri-state area, mm-hmm. um, what, kind of, what kind of opportunities do you see for other people who are looking to do, you know, this very typical set of configurations, pastured animals, you know, CSA, milk, like how many more farms do you feel like this market could bear? I know that's a very direct question, but... I don't think we've even begun to start to meet the demands of the market. For, we happen to live in an area that is has a large population, uh, generally has a, a higher percentage of that population with a little more affluence. So we have a group of consumers that are more or less begging for more on-farm, organically grown products. So... I joke to people who I talk to who want to start this type of enterprise, and I, I say all the time, you could start a, a raw milk dairy, you know, within 30 minutes of me, if probably closer, and we still wouldn't wouldn't reach every customer that's looking for it. Um, so that's that is the unique opportunity of the Northeast is that you have a a large percentage of consumers looking for products that I think that we are just starting to hit the tip of the iceberg as far as meeting demand. So. There is huge opportunity out there for young farmers that want to get into direct-to-consumer type farming in this area. Uh, I don't. I just don't think we've even begun to meet the demand. Okay, so that sounds amazing. Now we have to talk about the the, the dark underbelly part, which is, um, you know, the last month in Graze magazine, which is a you know great publication for pasture-based uh, animal mm-hmm. management, uh, and. You know, news has been bubbling and burbling, and cases have been bubbling and burbling against raw milk producers. Uh, you know, Organic Valley last year made that decision not to allow people who ship to Organic Valley to sell uh, raw milk directly. Not sure if it was to cover their butts or if it was because they wanted that milk for their own supply chain or, or you know, exactly what the motivations are. But there certainly are, uh, you know, regulatory issues shall we say, in sure. uh, raw milk and, and risk to the producer. Um, so my challenge, you know, last time I went to see at one of these um, farm-to-consumer defense, what are they called, foundations, farm-to-consumer. Yep. Yeah, my challenge was, you know, are you guys ready? Like, are you know, we know that the demand is there and that there's tremendous public support of moms and Western A. Price and, you know, there is a community who really cares passionately about the right to drink raw milk. But as a young farmer, putting it all on the line and investing, you know, a bunch of money and equipment and animals, you know, are we, can we expect to be protected or to find good legal uh, support if necessary? Um, what's your kind of take on that challenge? <laughs> that is a lot to swallow Loaded. at once. Uh, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> all right. I'm, under, I'm, I'm from the standpoint that when you want to be in this market, particularly r- the raw milk market, 
you as a producer have a responsibility to, cons- to the consumer to make the cleanest, healthiest, safest product you can. And if you adhere to good animal health, good animal nutrition, good sanitation, and if you really look at those individual things and, and be mindful of the details, then the reality is you're going to create a healthy product. Now, on the liability side of things, there's always there's always that risk. So you need to find insurance companies that will work with you. We, we, we do have an insurance company that completely covers our product. And uh, we test our product beyond the state standards so that we're always on top of the milk quality, the animal health issues. Uh, we have a unique relationship since my wife is a vet, so she's always on top of uh, herd health and, and making sure that the cows are always at their healthiest. Uh, when the cows are healthy, they rarely need intervention from the veterinary standpoint. So I, I think it's I think it, the responsibility falls on the producer. Uh, further regulations, I don't I personally don't believe are going to improve it. I think it's 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 going to be a marketing driven solution. So if a farm gets a, a bad rap for having milk that is of questionable quality the market will generally leave that producer behind and go to one who is paying attention to the details and doing a better job. Uh, so I'm, I'm a, more of a market-driven solution guy versus a regulation-type guy, so that's how, that's how I feel about it. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, I think it does. And, and to just know what you're getting into, um, definitely finding, the, finding an insurer who will cover you is easier in some places than others. Yes, absolutely. Um, Especially in state, customers. since we are in a state that allows the sale and we're licensed and permitted, it, you know that that really opens up opportunity for insurance. But I can imagine if you were in a state where you're trying to work a herd share or, or something kind of under the radar, uh, I, I doubt you would be able to find a, an insurance company that would cover that. Yeah, yeah, much much more challenging. So this back to this whole wife is a vet business. Um, this is like a dream story that you both went. To to animal science and uh, to school in Delaware for animal science. That's a land grant university, right? Correct. University of Delaware. That is correct. Um, it is a land grant university. You wanna, so you know, there's there's a whole bunch of people who are, you know, farming away. You know, moving from farm to farm, from apprenticeship and management job to management job, wondering how they're going to meet their love. Sounds like you hit the jackpot. Someone with veterinary skills and the same goals. Can you tell us how that went down? Oh, yeah. I definitely hit the jackpot on this. I'm not sure if my wife did, but I definitely did. Uh, we met in our sophomore year, and uh, she basically was uh, interested in, in veterinary work from the, from the time she was in high school. She went to school and uh, transferred into the animal science program. She actually started in the biology program. I was already in the animal science program, and we uh, just hit it off. We both were excited to be in the field, and it's been a while now. I'm sorry if I don't remember all the details, but uh, <laughs> she she puts up with me, and uh, we make a great team. So it, it's uh, we both have genuine interest in organic food and and healthy eating. Uh, we have two young children, so we're we're very concerned about how Americans in general, are eating any longer, and, and we decided to start this farm after we got married, and, and of course, we didn't do it well before we got married, but, uh, you know, we really, really wanted to make an impact on how 
people eat and how uh, they took care of their health. And we're, we're both of the, come from the standpoint that preventative health is better than, than putting a Band-Aid over it, and it all begins with nutrition. So that, that, that's how it all kind of tied together. And so what, is, um, what does it mean, Keepsake Farm, or how did you choose that name? We, we chose Keepsake Farm because it, when we were trying to think of the way we were farming, it kind of reminded us of the way things used to be, uh, sort of the way our grandparents, not that either of our grandparents farmed, but people whose, whose grandparents farmed, uh, you know, they, they farmed with nature versus against it and uh, utilized existing natural systems to be successful. So definition-wise, a keepsake is something kind of from your past that, that conjures up a good memory, and we thought that our style of farming would be a keepsake to people who who farmed in, the, in that era of uh, small family farms, diversification, and, and taking care of the land. So that's kind of how we came to that name. And so you're neither of you are from Pennsylvania, so... How did you um, how did you decide to come to Pennsylvania and and could you just reflect a little on you know how does PASA or other organizations help they get were there were there any resources that you use in you know plopping down in that particular place? Sure. Well, I am from Pennsylvania. I grew up just outside of Philadelphia, and uh, Amanda is from Long Island. And when we were when she was finishing up vet school, we were living in Georgia at the time, and uh, we were trying to, you know, where are we going to go? And uh, I've always loved being from Pennsylvania. It's a great climate. It's got a great growing area. We knew we wanted to start a farm, and we wanted to be relatively close to our family, so we settled in the Lehigh Valley area, which is about uh, not quite midway between families, but pretty close. And the reason I wanted to come back was I'd been a PASA member for since probably 1998 or 1999, so a long time, and uh, really was impressed with that organization and, and what they had to offer as far as education of young farmers and community outreach and advocacy. And uh, they, they, they are a great organization that is there to help young people start farming, so I wanted to be a part of that. And we just kind of fell into the area we're living in, and, and things took off from there. So... Uh, like I said, the one the nice thing about the Northeast is we have a market for consumers, and we have a pretty good growing climate where we can generally count on rain. We'll have uh, we'll have a drought every once in a while, but it is generally not as devastating as some of the other parts of the country. So, for grazing cattle and and uh, growing food, it's a it's a pretty good environment. That's why we decided to stay here. Yeah, a temperate climate is much easier to build soil carbon, also, and and. And there's plenty of people to feed. And, you know, we are, just to put in a, a double plug for Pennsylvania, you know, we've been involved in a lot of um, meetings in the Hudson Valley around land access. And, uh, you know, now we're further up in the Champlain Valley uh, and talking about the same things. But oftentimes, uh, Marilyn Anthony from Eastern Pasa will come over uh, to New York and just say, you know, wave her flag around and say, all you folks who can't afford, think you can't afford or are feeling the pinch of trying to find, you know, durable land tenure in New York State, consider Pennsylvania. It's wide open. Um, and to hear you saying the same thing is, is great. Um, I think it's something that many 
young farmers, many of whom are still, you know, have, have one foot kind of with their family or, or, or professional development in the city or off-farm income that they, you know, would rather be closer to a city in order to get, uh, should be considering Pennsylvania. Yeah, Mar- Marilyn Anthony is a great friend of mine, and she is a great resource for young farmers. She really has taken the bull by the horns and trying to get new farmers on land. Uh, she organized a, a new program that PASA has put out called the Land Lease Connection, where she has gone out and is engaging with landowners to try and, I don't want to say convince them, but get them on board that, that land is better used to farm versus uh, mowed down for weeds once or twice a year. So she's really, she's really put an effort out to try and find land where young farmers can sign leases that are agreeable to both parties, and uh, and help young farmers just gain access to land, which is a huge, a huge, uh, you know, roadblock on a lot of people who want to start farming. Is where do I find land, and where do I find land that's owned by landowners who? understand what I'm trying to do and, and can work with me on the startup. So she's she's a great resource. Like I said, Poss is great, and Maryland in particular is, has always been great. Um, you guys own or lease the land that you're farming? We currently own the, the land we we have now. We Well, we own half it. We still lease the rest. We, we started our farm on a, a complete leased farm, and... Uh, Last this past December, so a year now, we we bought a farm about ten minutes from where we where we were leasing, and we moved the whole operation to a piece of ground that we bought. So we're now landowners and land leasers, but at least we we have been able to move ourselves into the landowner column after five years of of what I'll call hard work. <laughs> All American hard work. Yes. Um, well, the All American hard work story of moving from lease to own, leasing to owning. Uh, and stewarding a beautiful young family and a beautiful herd of happy, healthy cows sounds pretty good. Um, any events or resources you wanted to call out, um, regional gatherings, obviously the PASA conference, uh, for those who are thinking about Pennsylvania or thinking about raw dairy, just some of your favorites. Honestly, yeah, you, you kind of hit, hit the organizations that, I'm, that I myself try to give at least my time to don't necessarily have extra money to give to, but uh, PASA and the Buy Fresh, Buy Local, Greater Lehigh Valley chapter in particular, uh, those are two organizations that, that I really have a ton of respect for and, and see that they're really trying to help the, the young farmer and also the the new consumer who is, you know, stepping into this world of real food and, and is faced with confusion at times of which direction to go, and both those organizations have been great and trying to match up the consumer to the producer. So I uh, check the, those organizations out for their conferences and, and educational materials and support them financially if you can. Sounds like a plan. I thank you for your time and, and enjoy this beautiful golden weather. Yes, Making thank hay. you very much. Have a great day. Have a great day. This is Severin and Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers. Bye, young farmers. Uh, every week on Heritage Radio Network. Upcoming events. Wow, there's a lot. Pretty intense. This is a winter uh, winter conference season is starting, and uh, people are closing out on this for the season and getting ready to get their minds filled um, with production suggestions and holistic meta thinking. 
So basically, I think you should probably just go on the website, uh, greenhorns, thegreenhorns.net. We have a bunch of farm hack events coming up in the early part of next year um, and a build event in, uh, well, it's probably going to be at the Intervale electric tractor build event. So, well, we'll see you there. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Like a ship, I'm told.